Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Football is back, and BetOnline is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info with all the up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, BetOnline gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Believe in OK State podcast. I am Megan Robinson, joined by Justin Southwell and Eve Batoba. Guys, after dropping to two and two, it is getting harder and harder to believe in OK State. But we are here, we are loyal and true, and we're going to try to find the positives. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's getting harder and harder to believe. But you know what? You got to realize that it's so important as fans, right, that we are also able to manage expectations. I think that everybody got really, really excited. We drank all the orange Kool-Aid heading into the season because that's what we're supposed to do as fanatics. But then whenever you actually go back and you think in hindsight and rationally, you're like, yeah, you know, maybe this is what we should have expected all along. Now, I mean, I'm probably the last person to talk because I was the one that was talking about we're going, you know, 10 and 2, 9 and 3. But, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm just tempering my expectations moving forward, mainly because I'm trying to protect my heart and uh, not feel completely heartbroken. Always with you, Eve. I got sold on this dream. Yeah, and It's a good thing they weren't, you know, selling timeshares on the moon or something because I would have bought into that too. Absolutely. Nice little lake of tranquility, you know, overlook type of, you know, whatever. So hey, here we are in two and two. Beachfront beach property over in I Idaho or something. Mm, like right. And here we are, two and two, ten and two, looking improbable to say the least. Mm. But still, I do believe in OK State. Uh, I still feel like the schedule is in our favor. I still think we have a chance to salvage this season, make it to bowl eligibility. And really, it started with a loss, but it started this week. We got to see one quarterback in there actually get into a little bit of a rhythm. And I don't think that there's, you know, any negative in that aspect because yeah, wh whoever you think should be quarterback, it's irrelevant at this point. We have a guy, we have one guy now and for now that, for now. yeah, sure. But I mean, that is, that's like the, one of the biggest things that we didn't have in the first three games. And we were just over here playing glorified scrimmages. And now we're actually getting the season started. It feels like so started off with a loss, but look to bounce back. We'll see how it goes. They're, you call them glorified scrimmages and that's how it felt they were treated. But I mean, we've lost one of those. And I think treating them that way was a detriment to this team and this program. And yes, they named Bowman the starter going forward, but Gundy also said the quarterback battle is not 
done. It is not a lock for the season. Now, do I think we'll see Bowman out there next or, you know, in two weeks against K-State? Probably. I would think so. But who is to say that we're going to see him out there in three weeks or four weeks or by the end of November? Yeah, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. And Meg, when you said it was a detriment to, to us as an offense, especially, I think it, it was even more clear just from watching the game this past week. And here's what I mean by that. So you go out there, you see Alan Bowman, you see the best production that we have seen out of the quarterback position so far this season, right? You know, minus the two picks. But whenever you actually go back and watch the game, which, you know, I actually went back and, and, and tried to watch as many clips as I could on how the offense performed, um, took a look at Feels Like the 45 podcast, Feels Like 45 podcast, looked at some of the PFF scores on there. Yes, I am a subscriber over at PFF as well. But here's what was so dang frustrating our offense especially our play calling and our formations and our designs the way that we came out there they looked really good just like from a creativity standpoint like we were getting so creative where we were aligning guys with the types of motions that we were using how we were able to uh, use Brennan Presley on those speed motions, the way that the Miami Dolphins have been using Tyreek Hill, right? You look at the deep shots that were taken, which is the most, the highest number of deep shots that have been taken so far this season. I mean, the creativity from this offense was there, and there was still so much more to be desired. Because even though the creativity was there, it still felt like the players weren't completely in sync, right? Quarterback still getting used to receivers, receivers still getting used to quarterback. And I think that's the thing that made it even more frustrating because in my head, I'm thinking, man, what if we were consistent with the QB position over the first three games? Would this game have looked that much more different? Would they, would they be a lot more, a lot more chemistry? Because my right. formations were great. The way that we shuffled around the offensive line even looked great. In the second half, the way that we, they were moving Alan Bowman out of the pocket or at least creating more – like, all that looks so good. And I'm just like, man, what if there was that consistency through the first four games and not just in this game? That would have made all the difference in the world. And I think that, for me, is where the pain point was watching this game against Iowa State. And the whole keeping – I've been harping on it, like, for the first – quarter of this whole season the whole keeping everything close to the vest hopefully we don't put enough on film for iowa state to that doesn't matter now because we lost iowa state we didn't get into a rhythm we weren't able to execute those plays in a game leading up to it who cares if you have it on film or not it's a matter of if they can stop it or not and i don't think that iowa state has the athletes to be able to stop us to be honest but here we are looking at you know overthrows, uh, still some drop passes, maybe a little bit behind on some throws, some stuff like that. And it's like, you know, if we were to run these plays against Arizona State, against South Alabama, and then come into this game against Iowa State, yeah, it's on the road. We're in Ames. Everybody knows it's a tough place to play. But I think that we go into that a little bit better and give ourselves a better chance to win. No question. No question. Because we put up over 400 yards of offense. Yeah. Uh, Like normally, you know, that's, that's a good game. But, you know, unfortunately, the points didn't necessarily reflect the play calling because I, I didn't think it was that bad. It's just the execution due to a lack of chemistry. Um, just That that just looks bad. I see your point about play calling looking creative. However, 
I don't really care how creative the play calling is if it doesn't win us the game. You talk about using Brendan Presley in certain routes. He had nine yards. I don't care how creative his routes are if he's not getting the ball. Like nine nine yards. That's And that's not a knock on BP. I think they need to get him involved more. He's a key player in this offense. I also, you know, 408 yards. I feel like that number is a little misleading, I guess, for lack of a better word, because 130 of those yards came from two plays. The touchdown catch by Jaden Nixon and the Mm -hmm. 71-yard run by Ollie Gordon. Now, 300 yards of offense is still good, but you take those two plays out of it, those two explosive plays, I think that they kind of skew our numbers, and it looks like, wow, we're getting a lot of yards per carry. It's like, no, Ollie had 171. He had a great game. He had 121 yards, I think it was, but – 70 of those came on one carry. So talking about the offense of 408 yards, yeah, 300 ish yards is still really good. If you take away those two explosive plays, but it's so hard to really like, great. You have good routes, but they're not converting. And Bowman, you talk about routes and creativity. Bowman went 23 for 48. That's not completing. You're not completing 50% of your passes. And I I think that that, again, is part of the lack of consistency the first three weeks. I'm not faulting Bowman. How can you get into rhythm with your offense if you're not playing with them? I was reading an article as I was coming up with our our rundown for this week, and they were saying how Beck from uh, um, Iowa State had 81 total series or snaps, like plays on offense, and Bowman had 50 about like approximately. So Beck essentially had one entire extra game than Bowman. And that clearly shows he's a true freshman. He's a true freshman. Experience doesn't matter if you're not getting the snaps. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. I mean, yeah, it's... That's my point exactly, right? Like you can have all the great play designs, all the great play calls, but because they they just all haven't been on the field together, it, it didn't look like it was supposed to look like. And you know, I mean, even to your point about you know two of those plays contributing to a large number of those yards that we had, yeah, I mean, you know, that's that you know that's that's bound to happen in football. But man, how many more of those plays could we have gotten if there weren't overthrows? Or how many more of those exactly. plays could we have gotten if they just? Yeah. You know, if, if he had some type of comfortability, I mean, you would hate for him to be a full-time starter in week four. And even if he feels, you know, more jitters you know, in, in his stomach than he would have felt had he had more reps over the first, you know, three games of the season. So all that stuff, man, I think that's the stuff that's just really frustrating. And I, I do want to tell everybody just kind of, you know, pump the brakes a little bit whenever it comes to the talk about, hey, fire this person or fire that person. You know, I mean, I think there's room for that conversation definitely later on in the season. But right now, yo, we are in week four heading into a bye week. So let's see. There's still a lot more to be desired. And more so, pump the brakes on, you know, oh, Bowman sucks and we should be playing Gundy or we should oh. be playing Rangel. Like that's that drives me crazy because, I mean, this was his first full game. 
And I understand a lot of our perception is going to be based on whether it's a win or a loss because, okay, we turn around, it's a loss. So it's easy to say, yeah, he didn't do well. And we look at the stats and you just think like, that's just not, that's not enough to get the job done. In my opinion, I think he did do enough to get the job done. And ultimately the defense is what let him down. So like we said earlier, it's tough to play in Ames. Let's compare him to backs we got. All right. Mason Rudolph, he got a win in 2015 with a very similar stat line, 24 of 36, 327, one touchdown. So he had one more completion, 49 more yards and one less touchdown. Got the win. Spencer Sanders got a win in 2019 on 16 of 24, 249 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Very similar stuff. Yeah. So you don't have to put up otherworldly numbers as a quarterback to get a win in Ames. But like I said, as we know, it's a tough place to play. I think Bowman did a good enough job to put us in a position to win. And then, like I said, his first game, I would expect his statistics to improve, especially when he's at home at Boone Pickens Stadium if he's given the chance to continue to play full games. But there are some things, obviously, he needs to clean up. Like he's still kind of throwing awkwardly off his back foot at times. It's a matter of being comfortable, probably worried about getting hurt. I understand all of that, but those those issues definitely need to be addressed if we're going to have a real shot at winning close games because that could be the, the difference. Yeah, not to mention just finishing whenever you actually get to the red zone, right? Like that was a... Uh... That, that was a little lackluster right there. Yeah. And I mean, going back to my comment on the big plays, yes, I understand that that's football. But the, the positive, trying to find the positives in this situation is that it's awesome to see those explosive plays from Jaden and Ollie. I mean, we've been saying, give Ollie the ball, give him the yeah. ball. Like, and when you give him the ball, look what happens. Yeah. And I completely mm-hmm. agree, Justin, that this, this week, was on the defense that, you know, I, I, I don't like to point fingers and say it's this person's fault because no, it's a team sport, whatever, but the defense, I mean, as, as promising as they looked the first couple of games, I felt like this week. And I mean, even Nardo coach Nardo came out and said, we blew coverages. That was the issue. It was that we were blowing coverages. I mean, back a lot through of for, going on, people don't know how to play on grass all of a sudden. I don't know. But Beck threw for 348, three touchdowns, 27 of his 38, or sorry, 27 of 38, eight of his passes. So almost a third of his passes went for 15 yards or more, accounting for 211 yards and 21 points. Yeah. I mean, going into this game, you, you could see the extra people in the box that we brought in there. Clearly, the defensive plan was to stop the rushing attack from Iowa. They did. And we did, right? What did it have? Like less than it was like 2.4 yards per carry. That they, they had, the yeah, 71, 71 yards, uh, 2.2 yards a carry. Yeah, only gave up two rushes that were over nine yards on the day. And I think that they were daring them to beat them over the, you know, over the top in the air. Unfortunately, they did. <laughs> right? Bro, we can't cover a slot receiver to save our lives. Like South Alabama, Iowa State, same thing. Just slot guys running wild. I wish I could have played against this defense, man. I would have had a Heisman like beat me, you know? But yeah. No, it's uh, so funny. It's it's last week we were talking about how much of an advantage that our, does our offensive does our offense have from practicing against a team that has a similar style of defense. Yeah. It looks like it was the opposite, right? Yeah, like flip, their offense the had the advantage because okay. they were practicing against a team that has a similar style of their defense. So 
yeah, that's that's what we saw on the field. Justin, you you were saying pump the brakes on calling for people to be fired. It's early in the season. Uh, my concern is that we have not scored more than 30 points since homecoming last year. Hmm. And while I know we're only four games in, there's plenty of time to turn it around. There's time, you know, former wins are bowl eligible. You know, like there's, this is not a complete, you know, we have time to make up ground is what I'm saying. But if you can't score 30 points, Against some of these teams that we have coming up, K-State, Kansas looks pretty good. OU, hey, UCF down in South Florida. Eve, you talked a lot of trash. They're coming for us now sure in their space suits, in their space gear. <laughs> uh, space like, at what point do you start to kind of – I mean, we've won four of the last 12. Yeah, like, well, I'll tell you this. Do you start to kind of be like, okay, we need to make changes? I think that as you're looking at, okay, we have finally made a decision on who the quarterback is going to be, and we're heading into a bye week, right? Some extra practices, some times for everybody to kind of just, hey, let's let's stop. Let's reflect on the first four games of the season so far. Let's see what kind of adjustments we've made, and we shuffled some people around on the offensive line. Hey, maybe we can get more creative with how we do this and that. Okay. That's probably the biggest benefit of having uh, the bye week in the time span in the calendar that we that we have it right now, right? Whenever the, the schedule first comes out, you're like, dang, it's an early bye week. I think that this is actually a blessing right now because it's like, okay, let's recalibrate, okay? Now, the big thing now is going to be, hey, if we can pick up some positive momentum, right, offensively, defensively, special teams-wise, then maybe – we don't have to fire somebody in the middle of the season, okay? Because as of right now, all everything is trending towards, hey, we got to make a huge change in the middle of the season. And if, honestly, if we still come out looking lackluster, that is what's going to be needed in, other to pro in order to provide some type of spark. Yeah, I, I just can't see any kind of move like that being made, if I'm being honest. like In the middle of the season? Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, um, I can't either, but. There, yeah. yeah. It would have to get so much worse, in my opinion, I feel like we kind of hit rock bottom against South Alabama. Like as bad as that loss stung against Iowa State, I feel like we still improved. But but hey, bounced, bounced up of, a little bit, just didn't get the win. Well, let, let me ask you this, man. If we're coming out of the bye week and we go on to lose the next two games, right? And now we're two and four mm -hmm. or two and five. If you ran Oklahoma State football, don't you think that you would have to shock the system a little bit and 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 make a huge coaching change in order to you know rally the troops absolutely i i definitely do and yeah. that's me though i mean i'm not in charge um i don't know if the person in charge feels the same way so whoever that person might be we'd right. have to see who it is but here's the thing meg you were talking about hitting 30 points and i understand like with the the way that the clock i mean the, i feel like this is the ultimate scapegoat for casey dunn saying that the clock continues to run you're not going to score as many points you know he, he's pointed out people just aren't scoring as many points anymore because clock continues to run i mean i i, I just feel like that's such a cop-out answer like an excuse 100%. we're we're looking at um i got so i got scoring offense pulled up statistics on points per game we got USC out here still scoring 55 points per game. Oregon, 54. Washington, 49.8. And guess what? The team in our backyard, 
putting up 46.8 points per game. So you just got to be like not paying attention to see that points are still being scored. And I know like a lot of people like to kind of compare Oklahoma State and Kansas State, pretty similar programs over the last decade or so, maybe even longer than that. Well, they're 19 in the country, putting up nearly 40 points, so 39.5 points per game. Oklahoma State, they're like nowhere to be found, not even close. 22 points per game, ranked number, we're tied for 99th, basically 100. That's you, you know what makes that even worse? Not, that yeah. Iowa State was averaging even less than us. <laughs> and they still they, be us. They, they still are. They're at 21 points per game. Oh, but okay. 21 points per game, and then they turn around, and then they scored. What was the final score? I can't. I don't even like to think about it. What, what was the final score? 34, 34 to 27. 27. They scored 34 points against us. One of the statistically worst. More than double their team average. And it's not like they got like a pick six on us or anything like that. This is their offense going out and putting up these numbers against us. And this is the same team that only put up seven against Ohio the week before in a loss. And we got Coach Nardo, Coach Dunn, and their post-game interviews talking about, now that's a good football team that we lost to. It's not. Like, that's something that you say if you're Notre Dame and you lose on a last-second play to Ohio State at the goal line. Tough fought game, really tough battle. MP1. Hey, that was a, that's a that was that was a tough. That was a that was a really good team that we played there. Yeah. And there's a little bit of a consolation with that loss. No, you can't say that against Iowa State. You cannot say that for one of the statistically worst in the nation, losing to teams like Ohio and turning around and beating you the next week. You just can't say it. Like, take it for what it is. You lost to an inferior team. And you got to live with it now. Facts. Yeah, I don't have much to add to that one. Facts. I know. I I hear you. I had a point, yeah. and I just completely forgot about well, that. But it was pertaining. I'll backtrack a little. I will say, like I said, I I feel like South Alabama rock bottom. We did bounce back. We kind of we sung. The praises of Casey Dunn for the first time in a long time for something as simple as sending Nixon out of the backfield in motion, seeing that it's man coverage against a linebacker and he can just go deep and get a 60 yard touchdown pass. Like it's, it's really that easy. That's what we've been calling for this whole time. Uh, we got seven points out of that deal and I'm just wondering why we can't keep doing that. Why not do it again until they can stop us? You know, do, do it with Presley. Like, give him the ball. Give him a chance. So, yeah, it's it's frustrating. But, hey, I think that, I don't know, maybe we're starting to turn a corner. I am getting a little bit of confidence hearing uh, Bowman's post-game interview. He was talking about, we, you know, the tools are here. Uh, we, we're not there yet, but we're, we might be turning a corner. I think that we've got some explosive players. It might start to click for us and get the – get this explosiveness back in the offense. Can't wait. I'm, I would love to see it. So the sooner the better, maybe. Let's go. You, you know what I think about is 2014, whenever Dax Garman was a quarterback, <laughs> okay? And Dax Garman was a QB. And everybody's expectation going into that season wasn't that, oh, my God, we're going to go and we're going to win the Big 12 championship. But that season was comprised of a lot of explosive plays. Like there were a lot of explosive plays, mostly because Dax never threw anything that was like under 40 yards. My man was just letting it rip, 
every single play, yeah, right? But it was so fun to watch still, even though we were losing. This one, I just hope that we're not going to be watching a losing product and it's miserable watching it at the same time, right? Like, yo, at least give us some explosiveness. And I think that we can still get that explosiveness if we're giving the ball to the right people. Like, Ollie Gordon should get minimum 25 touches every single game, right? Um, and that I think that's where you start, like making sure that he is getting his touches. So that, let's at least, like, put out a good product out there at this point, especially when it feels like Casey Dunn should be coaching for his job right now. Yeah, I mean, I'll <laughs> – I'll believe it when I see it, man. You referenced 2014. Well, that was the same team we had Tyree Kill on, and I don't know how many deep passes Dax Garman completed at Tyree Kill, but two is doing it on the reg out there. Right, not that many because he was in the backfield. He was a running back. Still, man, we just saw Jaden Nixon go out of the backfield and catch a 60-yard pass for a touchdown against Iowa State. More of those, please. We need more of those. All right, guys. You talked earlier about tempering expectations and, and all of that. Something that I ask a lot of the players that I talk to when I interview them for podcasts or the Pokes pod is what needs to happen in order for you to consider this season a success. And I asked guys that at media days, I asked guys that prior to the season, I haven't asked too many of them because I haven't talked to too many of them since the season actually started, but they all said, Big 12 championship. We are in Texas in December in, in contention for the national championship. That that part's not happening. The national championship. Oh, you gave up already? No. I'm just kidding. No. Big 12 mathematically is not out of the question. I'd say it's an uphill battle. Very unlikely. An uphill, an uphill, we'll say an uphill battle. That being said, I'm going to ask you to the same thing. What needs to happen for you guys to walk away from the 2023 season, considering it a success for Cowboy football? Get a time machine, go back in time. <laughs> with what we have right now, Justin, with what we know right now, two and two, entering the bye week, have eight games of Big 12 play ahead. What needs to happen for you to walk away being like, you know what? That's a successful season. Yeah, realistically for me, a successful season means that you still beat the Vegas over-under of six and a half. I know a lot of people have got some money on that. So if you can get some people some money at least, like go win seven games. So I, like I said, I think it's a realistic possibility. If you're looking at the schedule, you definitely have to beat all of the newcomers to the Big 12 and uh, probably West Virginia. And I think that you can you can add it. I mean, I as much as I would love to see a win against Kansas State, Kansas, OU. I just don't see it happening with what we are rolling out with right now. And I don't know. If you're if you're an OSU fan that feels different, let me know in the comments. But you must be seeing something different because like I would feel like the majority of people feel this feel the exact same way. I understand with rivalry games, you toss all that stuff out the window, but at the same time, you know look at the rivalry record look at i mean a lot's on the line this is our last bedlam in a long time probably yeah but do you feel confident with who we have on the field versus who they have on the field the coaches they have setting them up for success versus the coaches we have setting us up for success even though we have a home field advantage like i just don't see it's happening but, but still it could be a successful season if you turn around when Finish this year with seven wins. Um, I don't subscribe to the notion that it's a successful season if you beat OU and that's it. Like if you go, if you win three games 
you're three and nine this year and one of your wins just happens to be against OU, it's not a successful season to me anymore. The, the standard is a lot higher because of what Gundy has done. And so Gundy, you need to like hold your, hold your team, hold yourself to that higher standard, please. Like bowl streaks on the line. I understand like people were kind of scoffing at the notion last year. That's like, Oh, you, you know, give yourself a pat on the back. You made it to bowl eligibility. And it's like, Dude, yeah, our our expectations are to not just make it to a bowl, but to go to certain bowls and to play for championships. But we have dropped significantly since that point, and now we are at the point where it's like, please, like, make a bowl. Yeah, I mean, what would make this a successful season is if we come out of the bye week and win the remaining games, go ten and two, and win the Big Twelve championship. Right? <laughs> Obviously, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen, but. <clears throat> I feel I feel weird about this question because Justin, you mentioned the Vegas line being a six and a half wins, right? You know, make some people some money. Part of me, and, and this is somebody as I'm saying this as somebody that loves Oklahoma State. Like as somebody that really, really wants the best for our program. And whenever I think long term, part of me wants us to hit that under. Win five games this year. If one of those games is a win against OU, even better, right? But win only five games this year because why? Because that'll force somebody's hand, and that will cause some major drastic changes within the program. And I think that is what reinvigorates the fan base, re-energizes the program. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is going to take for drastic changes to be made within the program because it doesn't seem like any have been. So – um yeah i mean that that's that's like the weird part of like hey I, I want us to do the best but if we don't do the best then i think that it leads to better outcomes for us in the future so i don't know it's it's a weird uh it's a weird place to be in as, as a big time oklahoma state supporter what happens though eve if we only get five wins and no changes are made because of the precedent that Gundy has set for so long. So this is your first losing season since your first year here, which is an anomaly. And what if there are no changes to be made because that's not something that we experience often and you write it off as a fluke? Yeah, I mean, in that situation, it would be really hard for me to just like continue showing up. I'm just playing scenarios. Yeah, that I mean, week, week after week. I mean, and, uh, I think it's a great scenario. If we go, you know, five and seven and no changes are made, then I can't continue to, you know, hitch my wagon to subpartners, like just, just to, to a subpar product. If it seems like the people running the show don't care, it'll be really, really hard for me to care too, to be quite honest. That's a good point. I know a lot of the people that are, you know, blessed enough to be able to give lots of money to the program. You think that's going to continue whenever we're continue like just losing games? I mean, it's just downhill, man. Like I, I, I fully agree because it's the same same situation. And it's like your support, your your fandom, showing up every week and being excited about Oklahoma State. You have a value of that, but there's also the other side of that where donors have a monetary value that they're able to put to it. And it's, it's a weird deal because you're not actually getting like a return on your investment 
monetarily like you would for any other investment that you put your money into. But there's the an, like an internal sense of a return on your investment whenever you pour money into something that you care about and you see that that money helped in some form or fashion, whether it's recruiting a guy to come who makes some plays and win some games or if you're putting your name on the locker room and guys are seeing that every day or the video board, you know, you, this massive contribution to Oklahoma state football. And then for them to turn around and continually put out a subpar product on the field and turn out loss after loss after loss, not, that's just not a great feeling. So I just, I can't imagine that they would continually just say, you know what? Ah, I'm loyal and true. I love the Cowboys. Let me go ahead and double down on this. Like, realistically, come on. Bring up the money. And Eve, I heard you say NIL. Well, last week there was a tweet from Brock Martin. He said, NIL does not equal wins. NIL gives us a better chance against the blue blood programs in recruiting. The rich will get richer and we will get left behind if people don't start stepping up to the plate. If this doesn't make sense to you, feel free to message me. And to your point, Justin, if we're not putting out a good product on the field, people are not going to to donate. There will not be NIL money. And that's where we will lose the recruiting battle. How important is getting our NIL game up and improved and on the same playing field as schools like Alabama and Georgia and Michigan and Ohio State? Colorado. Colorado. Like, how important is that to our long-term success as a program? The, the biggest thing here is you just have to have the, the head coach that actually, like, supports it. I think last week you saw 20-plus athletes which within Oklahoma State Athletics tweet out about Pokes with a Purpose in the NIL Collective. But you don't ever hear anything from the coaching staff. Like, isn't that interesting? And I know Gundy has said things about, you know, not necessarily being a fan of NIL in the past, but this is just the way that things are going. And that doesn't always mean that even hey, that you're embracing a collective, right? Because there are programs out there that don't have a collective, but are still getting created with how they're forming partnerships from an NIL standpoint. But it's really, really hard as an institution and as a program to go out and do that if you're not getting exact approval or the okay from the head man in charge. I think that's the thing that's so frustrating about it. I mean, we all know the importance of NIL. We know it's an arms race. We know that it's what you have to do in order to recruit and to retain your players because you have to recruit them every single year, seems like nowadays. But man, I would just love to see support from Mike Gundy of NIL, just, just, just even a little bit. Because not seeing that, now, I mean, to me, it's an, it's one of those things that just shows, man, how, how bad do you even really want this? Justin, do you have something? I didn't know if you were going to. You don't have to. I just didn't want to. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's pretty obvious, like, Gunny's behind. Um, and it has been. It's kind of been a, like a, uh, it's like a reoccurring theme for him. And it, this, it's NIL this time. Last time it was, you know, not uh, not having the best relationship with the players, maybe being a little bit out of touch. We were kind of reassured that's not going to happen again. And that same thing with the portal. 
you know, he's thrown off by the portal, thought it was going to slow down. That's not the case. Um, he keeps reassuring whoever he needs to, I guess, whether it's Holder, Weiberg, whatever the case is, you know, this isn't, this won't be an issue moving forward. NIL, same thing. I mean, how much longer are we going to get behind before he decides, oh, let me get on board with this and then let me fully support it. You know, I, and then at that point, is it even genuine? Does he really believe that? Are the recruits, the players coming in, are they going to actually believe that? I mean, yeah, at this point, man, I totally appreciate everything that you've done for Oklahoma state up to this point. But man, adapt or die. I mean, that's just the, that's just the name of the game. It's a yeah. business. It's nothing personal. But it's nothing personal. We got to get in somebody who can relate to players, who understands the importance of NIL, understands the importance of recruiting. Maybe who can come in here with not such an exuberant salary. Use some of that money toward NIL. Use some of that money toward recruiting, because. If that's the case, we would be up there if we're putting in the, the amount of – we talked about in the offseason, Rutgers. Rutgers of all places, they've got like the 11th best recruiting budget in the nation. Yeah. I would not be surprised to see in two or three years Rutgers of all teams competing with the likes of Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State because they are dedicated to recruiting. That's the way it works. And Oklahoma State, one of the worst – lowest amounts $450,000 for recruiting like that is a drop in the bucket especially compared to Gundy's salary compared to what we should be putting into recruiting uh, I I don't know what NIL I don't know what it looks like but if we got you know we're begging for 600 people to step up and pay a thousand dollars like yeah you know it's it's just an interesting it's an interesting ordeal because <laughs> the money's there and it's just not allocated to the right place. You know, it, it, it's very interesting, man. I was looking at – I was watching college football this past weekend and looking at Will Stein, the offensive coordinator over at Oregon, and I felt so jealous. <laughs> like, seriously. Not just because their they're matte black helmets were the cleanest helmets I've seen in a long time, okay? But because their offense looks so good, they're able to get a great quarterback like Bo Nix because of what they have from an NIL allotment. Because they're so ridiculously creative with you know, allowing athletes to be creators and pumping out a great story whenever they get to the program. And I'm just like, dang, man, imagine if we were doing that here at Oklahoma State. Imagine if we were doing what Shane Callahan is doing over at Colorado, and right? Him as an offensive coordinator and Dion from you know being able to leverage all these different brands. Of course, everybody's not Dion, but I remember mm-hmm. this offseason, guys. I was speaking to a team in the ACC, okay? Uh, Spoiler alert, there was one of our players that actually was interested in transferring to a team in the ACC. And I'm having a conversation with this guy. I'm like, hey, I want let let me find out some stuff about, you know, this school. So I called this school, and they said, you know what? I'm going to put you in touch with our GM, our general manager. I was like, GM? What? College? Yeah. This school has a GM? So here I am. I'm talking to this individual 
yo, the GM, like real responsibility, not just from a player personnel standpoint, but also from like an allocation of funds standpoint and making sure that, hey, there's a pot like NIL related stuff, like making sure that there's the proper partnerships. And I'm just like, wait, this is happening. I went online and I was like, how many college programs have a GM all throughout the SEC? whole bunch of schools in the, in the ACC. You have all these schools in the big – like the, the GM position in college football is one of the fastest growing positions that are out like right now. I'm like, wait a minute. Are we going to be slow to adopt this as well? Is it going to take a younger head coach to come in and say, hey, give me you know a fraction of this salary so that we can use a lot more of this money to be allocated towards this? Like, I don't know what it's going to cost, but I don't think that our head guy right now is necessarily passionate about doing something that requires that. Yeah, that's a good call. And, um, you know, we, we kind of touched on recruiting NIL, and I guess it ties into it, but the transfer portal thing as well. And it's not necessarily acquiring talent from the portal. It's about retaining the guys on your roster that are really good. So Mason Cobb. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about Mason Cobb, Jabbar Muhammad, and uh, Thomas Harper. How great would it have been to have seen them on the field in these first four games, would you not be telling me right now that we would probably be a lot better right now? Like looking at probably four and zero. I mean, just having that impact on the field to be able to support, you know, Kendall Daniels, and to be able to support guys like Colin Oliver. Like our defense would be stacked, and we wouldn't be having to worry about you know these blown coverages against slot receivers, and you know, uh, worrying about injuries. Like, hope you know, hopefully. You know, Justin Justin uh, Justin Wright comes back pretty soon. I uh, can kind of fill that gap, but the fact is, like, if he gets hurt, which he has, then our then we're all of a sudden thin at that position. So, yeah, I mean, nil. Um, we got yeah, we we got to adapt quickly. Yeah. Hey, let me tell you um, something. Go, go to Mason Cobb's IG story. It doesn't matter any time you're listening to this podcast. I guarantee you, if you go to his IG story right now. He is doing something with House of Victory NIL out there at USC because he loves them, right? And they are hooking him up. They're getting his family out to games. They're making sure that he has sponsorships on a regular basis. I'm like, okay, you know, I, I can kind of kind of see why you want to head out that way. But, I mean, yeah, we don't even have a fraction of that right now, and that, that's, that's a problem. Yeah, and what's crazy is we're talking about NIL, and it's, yeah. it's being so misconstrued, abused. You know, if you have money, you can just pour that in there and say, you know, oh, this is because of your name, image, and likeness. Nobody that's making legitimate NIL money outside of like maybe five guys in the NCAA are actually worth what they're making. But that's what it takes right now. And until the NCAA steps up and regulates this, it's the Wild West. And I can't think of a better position to be in than to be a cowboy in the Wild West. So get yeah. on board, guys. Don't shoot yourselves in the foot either. Well, that's a different topic right there because I would beg to differ that they are worth what they're making, but I digress. That's another topic for another day. Yes, we are not going to go on the NIL tangent. Before we go, Justin, we have to talk about your favorite topic, uniforms. There are no picks this week because we are on a bye, so players can wear whatever they want to lounge around on Saturday and watch other games. But you guys had some thoughts on the combo that was worn for our game this past weekend in Ames. It was white, white, black with orange numbers and that beautiful full peat helmet that we see located behind Justin in the background. Sort of kind of different face mask, inverted stripe, but yes. 
<laughs> yeah, you guys did All not love this combo. <laughs> no, nah, man. I, I, I definitely didn't love it either. I, I, I didn't dislike it as much as you two. Well, I will say, I'll say this. Like, I, I don't say that I didn't like it. I thought it looked okay. Like pretty good. We're like talking right in the middle. Okay. Cause in some ways the orange numbers is a good accent for the Pete helmet, but the Pete helmet was also, it was like the black version. So you had to pair it with the pants and thinking about it in terms of the uniform matchup, you almost had to wear that combination against Iowa state. If they're going to wear, they're all black because if you go in there with the, the combo with black numbers, then it's just black and white. At least they, they gave a hint of orange in there. So I do like that. You can't turn around and wear white, white, orange two weeks after you just played at Arizona state. So I understand why they decided to go with that combo. I think it would have been, you know, maybe just a, go with my combo, go with my prediction with all white, but I digress. Um, yeah, typically I don't enjoy seeing whenever the numbers don't match the color of the pants, if it's going to be like a different color. Um, yeah, black, the, black lettering. The uniform, lettering yeah, it did it didn't look uniform, which is the whole name of the game. Like look yeah. uniform because the, the helmet stripe was inverted compared to what was on the sleeve stripe. Um and then yeah, white, white, black. It's a great combo, but with orange numbers, not as good as if it had black numbers. But again, I understand the deal. I'm just I'm totally on in the middle on the fence with it. I'm not gonna like bash it and say it was a terrible combo. It's probably like not it's not our best combo of the year, but it's also, yeah, it's not the best. It's not the worst. It's just, it's, it is what it is. Well, we probably won't see it for a very long time considering the outcome on Saturday. So that is the positive to come out of that uniform combo. Going to run out of Unlike combos. <laughs> hey, I was thinking the same thing, bro. I'm like, look, we're going to have to recycle some of these at some point, okay? Yeah. Like, everything can't just be flushed down the toilet. But, yeah. But guys, there's, like, hundreds of different combos if you think of the face mask and the decals on the helmet. So, really, you might see some of the same. You might see, like, the white, white, black. But are you going to see a full Pete again? No. Maybe we'll do Brand. Maybe we'll do Script Cowboys. Who knows? Who knows? We got yeah. options. Justin yeah. Williams knows. Justin Williams knows, yep. <laughs> Love you, wow. Justin, if you're listening. Also, you, Justin, Justin Blackman, you know him. Always a pleasure. How many Justins to shout out? Right, let's go for a couple more. My favorite more. people are named Justin. Well, with that, we thank you for listening to another episode of the Believe in OK State podcast presented by Bet Online, guys. Enjoy your bye week. I hope everyone is doing something fun. We'll see you back next week kicking off K-State Saturday or Friday night game, Friday night football next week. So that's exciting. So enjoy this bye. It's a short week coming out of the bye. Like, share, subscribe, follow, rate, review, all of the things. And as always, go Pokes. Go Pokes. Go Pokes. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.